I want to jump right into the Word this evening, and uh, tonight we're speaking on the subject of temptation, temptation, and uh, as I mentioned at the end of our spiritual warfare series, I am going to do a series on apologetics, that is helping you to defend the faith, and uh, specifically in, in certain areas that we see in our culture, our faith being attacked to equip you with uh, how, uh, how to defend the faith from the Word of God. Uh, but I'm not ready to start that series yet. There's, there's some more research I want to do and, and uh, a couple more books, actually, I want to read. And so uh, we are in this, series, this season of on Sunday evenings, we'll be just having one-off uh, sermons here and there uh, until that series is ready to go. Hopefully by next month we'll, we'll be launching into that as we finish out the fall. I can't believe, I cannot believe that this year is almost over. It's just uh, absolutely astonishing how fast time flies. But uh, tonight we're looking at the subject of temptation. And as I was praying this week, uh, the Lord just placed this on my heart to uh, remind you of some things. I, I don't know that there'll be anything in here tonight that is uh, revolutionary to your thinking or ideas that you haven't heard before, but I do want to continue to press these truths into your heart that you might uh, overcome and be victorious over temptation and sin. Amen. And so, uh, have I given you our passages yet? No, sorry. So James chapter 1, if you'll flip over there with me, James chapter 1 will be our main text this evening. And then I'm also going to read from Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, uh, before we pray as well. So James chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 12 this evening. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth, by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And we're going to look at Matthew 6 and verse 30, uh, verse 6 and verse 13, chapter 6, verse 13. This is in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to simply look at this part of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says, Matthew 6, 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your revelation to us, your word, which is the truth, Lord, that 
upon these words we can build our lives. And Lord, we know that your word is the truth, that your word has power. And so we pray, God, that you would breathe upon your word in our hearts, that you would speak to us tonight through your word. Lord, you taught us to pray that, uh, that we would be not led into temptation and that we would be delivered from evil. So we pray that tonight, Lord, that you would keep us from temptation and that you would deliver us from evil and that you would use uh, this sermon tonight uh, towards those ends. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I want to start tonight with some definitions, some definitions. I want to start by defining sin and temptation. What are we even talking about? What is sin? We live in a world that has all kinds of ideas about life that is not rooted and grounded in God's revelation, is not rooted and grounded in the word of God. In fact, I think most people probably grow up in our culture today without any concept of the, the idea of sin and temptation. Jesus died for our sins, right? Isn't that what 1 Corinthians 15 says? He died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Well, if you don't know that there's such a thing as sin and you don't know that you're a sinner, you're not going to be looking for a savior, is anybody awake here tonight? Is this blowing your mind already? I said I was going to say anything profound. If you don't know what sin is and you don't know you're a sinner, you're not going to be looking for a savior, someone to save you from your sins. So what is sin? Well, in 1 John chapter 3, that's just a couple pages over in your Bible, the Apostle John gives us a definition for sin. He gives us a definition of sin. 1 John chapter 3 Verse 4, he says this, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So what is sin? Lawlessness. Lawlessness. And, and of course, John, as a first century Jew, when he's speaking of uh, transgressing a law, what law is he talking about? God's law, God's moral law, uh, summarized in the Ten Commandments is a great summary of God's moral law. Sin is breaking God's law. Sin is breaking God's commandments. That is at the root of what sin is. And we all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We all have broken God's commandments. We all have transgressed his perfect and righteous standard. And because of that, we are sinful. And because of that, we are alienated from God in our sin. That is what sin is. Sin is breaking of God's commandments, breaking of God's law, and we all have sinned. Now, what is temptation? A definition of temptation. Here we see actually a, a definition here in James chapter 1. In verse 14, he says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So temptation is the fact that we have desires that are not lined up with God's word, God's will, God's law, God's commandments. 
God's commandment says, thou shalt not steal, and we see something that somebody else has, and we think, sure would be nice to have that. And people steal because they want what others have. Now, I know, no, I was about to go off on a tangent about taxation. I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm going to be disciplined tonight. Come talk to me later if you want to hear that tangent. People steal because they want something contrary to God's law. God's word, God's law, his commandments say, do not covet. Do not covet. That means don't desire for yourself what other people have. We've made that a virtue today. That, that's, that's a virtue. In fact, I can't help myself. There's a whole political party that says, vote for us and we'll take their stuff and give it to you. That's coveting. That's against God's law. A whole party saying, vote for us and we'll sin on your behalf. So it's our own evil desires that are not in alignment with God's will and God's word and God's commandments. And so temptation is the desire to follow our will and not to follow God's word. So sin is breaking God's commandments. Sin is lawlessness. Temptation is that invitation to sin. It's that invitation that says, come and break God's commandments. Follow your own will and not God's will. So those are our definitions tonight. Sin is lawlessness, temptation, the invitation to sin, the invitation to lawlessness. I have four things about temptation tonight I want to share with you. Uh, start, uh, let's make it five. Five things tonight, temptation. Number one, we are all tempted. We're all tempted. We are all tempted every day. Not a one of us is not tempted. In fact, tonight uh, or this morning, we looked at uh, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would want people to do unto you. If we, if we transgress that, we have sinned. We have broken one of God's commandments. That means every time I've treated somebody different from how I would want to be treated, I have transgressed. I have sinned. And so every time I have the desire to not treat somebody the way I would want to be treated, I am being tempted. We are all tempted. Even the Lord Jesus was tempted. That's the first thing I want you to know tonight. We are all tempted. The second thing that we need to know I'm actually, increase, I'm actually adding to my points as we go tonight. So it's not five, it's now six. The second thing we need to know is that temptation is not sin. We looked at that in the definitions. So you can be tempted and not sin. Temptation is that desire to sin, the desire to break God's commandments, being lured away, being, being, our, our flesh being worked over, but that doesn't mean that we have sinned. How do we know that? Well, because Jesus was tempted in all points as we were, yet without sin. So we need to distinguish in our minds the difference between temptation and sin. We will all be tempted. And we know that we will all give in to temptation, and we have given in to temptation. But God's desire for us is that even though we are tempted, that we would not give in to temptation. 
that we would not sin. So we are all tempted, number one. Number two, temptation is not sin. Number three, we see this here in our text. Number three, temptation does not come from God. Temptation does not come from God. It says it here so plainly. Let no one say, verse 13, James chapter 1, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God because God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. Temptation is not from God. We need to know that. If you are being tempted, it is not from God. God is not putting that temptation in front of you. God is not enticing you to sin. And so if temptation does not come from God, where does it come from? The devil. We used to, we used to talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil. Do you remember that? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Yes, it comes from the devil. Yes, we see Satan tempting Adam and Eve in the garden. Yes, Satan will lay temptation in your paths. But we also live in a fallen world. We live in a world that has fallen into sin. And in this fallen world, it, it doesn't mean that Satan is always there, that you're the, the total object of Satan's attention 24-7. There's a lot of people in the world. And Satan is finite. He's not infinite like God. But in a, in a fallen world, there's opportunities to sin all around us because there are systems that have been set up that lead people and trap people into sin. That's the world. You cannot love the world and be a friend of God, the Bible says. Love not the world or the things in the world. Whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. When it's talking of the world in that sense, it's talking of that system that has been created by the devil that is sinful and keeps people trapped in sin. So the world, the world is a source of temptation. I've mentioned it several times. If you drive down 410, you're going to see all kinds of billboards that are full of temptation, just the flesh everywhere, the, the world in this fallen world, it, it's just leading you into temptation. You can't watch a Spurs game. You can't watch the Cowboys. I don't even know what else there is, but there's other sports teams I know out there. You, you can't even watch this stuff. I tried to watch a Spurs game the other night for the first time in whatever, 10 years since they were good, and I could not believe the commercials. I couldn't believe it. How sinful, how, 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 how enticing, how deceptive just the commercials are these days. The temptation to sin, it does not come from God. We live in a fallen world. There's temptation all around us. Here James identifies another one, our flesh, our own evil desires. We live in this body of flesh, and Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 7. That though our spirits and souls are, are, are being sanctified and saved and born again by the power of the Spirit of God, yet we live in this body of flesh that has not yet been redeemed. This body of flesh is still corrupted by sin. And it's not until Christ returns and we are raised incorruptible, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, that we will finally be set free from the temptations of the body, this sinful flesh. We will be given a new body. How glorious that day will be. Amen? 
But until that day, we live in this body of flesh. Our, our, our fleshly bodies have natural desires that are contrary oftentimes to the will of God. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians that he disciplines his body. He, he makes it obedient to the commands of Christ. And he says, though I have these natural desires, they want to express themselves contrary to the law of God, the commandments of God. Nevertheless, I will bring every thought captive and I will make even my body obey Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says that uh, to, to submit ourselves to God and even our own bodies, which is our spiritual act of worship. So our bodies aren't even our own. They belong to God. The world, the flesh, and then, yes, the devil. Yes, the devil will tempt us. He is the tempter. He is the tempter. God does not bring temptation into our lives, but 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us what God brings into our lives when we are tempted is a way of escape. A way of escape. That with every temptation comes an escape route. Comes a way for us to escape that temptation. That's what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says. God does not provide the temptation. God provides the way of escape. God provides the pathway for us to not fall into sin when we are tempted. And so what is that way of escape? Well, let's keep pressing on tonight. I don't know what point I'm on anymore. It really doesn't even matter. But here's another point for you. Temptation is always a lie. Temptation is always a lie. It's an invitation to sin, but that invitation is always a lie. Look at the use of the words that James uses when he speaks of temptation. He says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. That word lured means drawn away. It's like the bait that you throw out to catch a fish. That lure, you know what's on the other end of it? A hook. A hook. That we are lured away, that we are enticed. It's like a fish that has been caught on a string. It was a lie. Whatever that shiny dangling thing was that was promising so much, whatever, in the end, it was a hook. In the end, it was a trap. This word entice means to entrap, to catch, to snare. Now, these are fishing terms. These are hunting terms. I don't know if James was an outdoorsman or not, but he's using this lingo that I think many men who are outdoorsmen can understand. The Bible says that Satan goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan is on the prowl. And he will use whatever means at his disposal to trap you, to entice you, and to deceive you. When you throw out that lure to the fish, you are lying to the fish. It is a trap. You are tricking it. And at the end of that hook, at the end of that line, is what James says is at the end of sin, and that is death. When you set a trap for an animal... It looks so good. All he has to do is go in there. Wow, free food, amazing. But it is a trap. And temptation is like that. It is a lie because it promises one thing but delivers another. 
Temptation promises, it, it speaks to our flesh. It says, this will make you happy. This will satisfy you. If you have this, you'll, you'll be fulfilled. You'll, you'll be glad. You'll have joy. You'll, you'll find all of your wildest dreams will be fulfilled at the end of this path. But it's a lie. Temptation is always a lie. The, the, the enticing away from God's will, from God's word, from God's commandments is always a lie. James says here, verse 15, then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. It brings forth Death, we saw that this morning, the broad way, the easy way leads to destruction. It produces death. And so oftentimes Satan will throw things out into our way through the world, the flesh, Satan himself. Things that on the surface look good, they look easy. It's just right there. No one's gonna know it's a trap. It's a lie. That's why in verse 16, James says, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Why does he say that? Because temptation is a lie. Do not be deceived by temptation. It brings forth death. And he goes on to say, do not be deceived. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. Good things, where do they come from? Only from God. Only from God. You will not find good things at the end of sin. You will not find good things following temptation. You will only find good things following God's commandments. Because good things only come from God. Now, is there, is there a momentary pleasure in sin? Sure there is. But it is so short and it is so fleeting and the consequences last often a lifetime if not for eternity. Do not be like Esau who traded his birthright, an eternal blessing for a temporary pleasure. Yeah, there's, there's temporary pleasure in sin. But in the end, it is death. In the end, it does not lead to life. So do not be deceived. Every temptation is a lie. Only good things come from God and from following after his word and his will. So if every temptation is a lie, how do we overcome lies? How do we overcome deception? This is a reminder, by the truth, by the truth, we overcome deception with truth. We overcome lies with truth. We have to know the truth. Now, we all know this verse that says this, the truth will set you free. That's John chapter 8, verse 32. The truth will set you free, though you may be... Lord, you may be being, being tempted by the devil. If you will quicken to your mind the truth of God's word, it will set you free. That is the way of escape that God has provided for us. His word. The truth will set you free. 
The truth of the word of God comes in like a benevolent uh, PETA member and cuts the line and lets the fish go and, and now you're free and you've been set free from temptation. I know I, I did something really bad by making PETA the good guy in the illustration. I know that's a, a horrible thing to do in our church, but never, nevertheless, it fit my illustration. But the word of God comes in and it sets you free. Know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's John 8, 32. We all know that verse. Do we know the verse that comes before it? Who can quote for me John 8, 31? Anybody? Any of the kids here? I'll give you 20 bucks if any of the kids can quote John 8, 31. Judah, you're raising your hand. Yeah, I didn't think so. Lost 20 bucks. All right, here we go. John 8, 31. We know John 8, 32, but what does John 8, 31 say? So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if, conditional statement, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is a conditional statement. You will not know the truth if you do not abide in the word of God. That's the key. If you abide in my word, Jesus says, you are truly my followers, my disciples, and then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We cannot know the truth apart from God's revelation. We must abide in his word, living lives that are saturated in his word. There is no other source for truth outside of God's revelation. That is the only source of truth. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the word incarnate, the truth incarnate, the truth in the flesh. There is no truth found outside of God's revelation. If it doesn't line up with God's revelation, it is not true, but it is a lie. And the most sure and concrete source of God's revelation is in his written word. Yes, God reveals himself in creation. Yes and amen. But the most sure and concrete form of God's revelation is his written word. And so if we are going to know the truth, we must be people of the book. We must be people of the word. If we are not going to be led astray by the temptation of the devil, which is invitation to, to sin, if we're not going to be led astray by that, it is only by abiding in his word. That is living in his word. You see, our minds, they're like a sponge. And they soak up whatever is around it. Some of our minds are like a dry and crusty sponge. They are hard and they are brittle. You need to saturate your mind with the word of God. In Proverbs, it even talks about how the word of God makes wise the simple. I love that verse. You don't have to have a, a massive IQ to be wise in God's word. You simply need to, wise in God's world, you simply need to know God's word. What a glorious truth. 
What a glorious truth. That God's word, if you will saturate your mind in God's word, it will fill you with God's wisdom. You might not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but you can be wiser than some of the smartest people on the planet who reject God's word. If you will saturate your mind in the word of God. Others of us tonight, we, we're, our, our minds are not like those crusty old sponges, but instead they are like, uh, they are wet and they are soft, but they are filled with other things, not the word of God. And the thing about a sponge is when it comes under pressure, whatever's in it comes out of it. When the, when the temptation comes, when the pressures of life come, if you filled yourself, if you filled your soul, if you filled your mind with everything but the word of God, guess what's going to come out? Everything but the word of God. But if you, when you come under pressure, when you come under temptation, if you want the word of God to come out that sets you free, you must fill and saturate your mind like a sponge with the word of God. Every temptation is a lie. Lies are only overcome with the truth. It is the truth that sets us free from Satan's lies, and I will only know the truth if I abide, if I live in God's word. This is the way of escape that God has provided for us. Are we taking advantage of it? Jesus, we know it very famously, when he is tempted by the devil in the wilderness, what does he do? What does he do when tempted by the devil? It's the word of God. He quotes Deuteronomy. What does he say specifically to the devil? It is written. I love that statement. You need to take that. You need to memorize that. You need to meditate on that. And when temptation comes your way, you need to be ready to say, it is written. It is written. And then declare the word of God. You see, too often we give into temptation because we feel like we're isolated, like we're separated from God. We, we, we foolishly are like Adam and Eve in the garden who thought they could hide from God and hide their sin by covering themselves in leaves. How foolish, how, how ridiculous, yet do we not do the same thing? Do we not behave and act like nobody can see us at times? God sees everything, even to our hearts, even in this moment. Our hearts are laid bare before him. Nothing is hidden from his sight, the scripture says. So we must know the truth. We must be able to say and to declare it is written. And living in and abiding in God's word daily, daily grants us that knowledge of the truth that sets us free. Another point, I have no idea which number I'm on. Victory over sin and temptation is rooted in your new identity in Christ. How can we have victory over sin and temptation? That is simple. We are not sinners anymore. That is what God has declared over us. He has declared us righteous in Christ. And he has clothed us in the righteousness of Christ. And so any temptation is an invitation to betray who you really are because you are no longer a sinner if you are in Christ. You are a saint. 
That's what the Bible says. So we must remind ourselves of the victory that Christ won on our behalf. You see, the tomb is empty today. Jesus is not still buried. Jesus rose from the dead. Yes, he died and yes, he was crucified, but he also rose and rose victorious, conquering Satan, sin, death, the hell, flesh, and the devil in the world and everything. He conquered everything. And if we are in Christ, we are new creations, the Bible says. That we are no longer a slave, Galatians says, but we are now sons and daughters of God. Therefore, we can, like Paul say, says, we can discipline our bodies and keep it under control and make it obedient to Christ because we are new creations. Because Christ died and rose again. He was nailed to the tree so that we might be set free. And if you are in Christ, you are a son and a daughter of God. That's who you are. That's who you are. And so our victory over sin is rooted in Christ's victory. Listen, if Jesus didn't die and rise, there's no victory for any of us. Paul says that if, you, if, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, we're still dead in our sins. But indeed, he says, Christ has been risen. And because Christ rose and rose victorious, we are victorious in Christ. That's what the word of God says about you. Now, Satan's going to come, and he's going to come with another report. He's going to come with his lies. He says, nah, it's not true. Now you're not really saved. No, you're not really a child of God. X, Y, Z, blah, 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 blah. What does God's word say? That's what matters. That's the end of the, the, the issue. It is written. I am a child of God. I belong to him. My life belongs to him. My thoughts, my words, my actions, my deeds, my very body belongs to him because he purchased me by his blood. I belong to Christ. I am his and he is mine. And when you set your mind on Christ and on his word, God will grant you the victory over temptation. But it's when you take your eyes off of Jesus Remember Peter walking on the water? How awesome was that, by the way? We all give him a hard time because he sunk, but, I mean, he got a few steps in, which is, last time I checked, more than any of us. But it's when he took his eyes off of Jesus and put his eyes on the waves that he began to sink. And too often, we're overcome with sin because we're focused on the sin. Well, I keep sinning. Well, I keep being tempted. Blah, 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 blah. Get your eyes off of all of that and put it on Christ. Put your eyes on him and what he did for you. You cannot live in sin when you are meditating upon Christ. You cannot keep both of those things in your mind at the same time. You will either have sin or you will have Christ. It has to be one or the other. And so if you will take every thought captive and, and focus your thoughts and focus your attention on Christ in the power of his spirit, you will have the victory over sin. Amen, preacher. That's good stuff. Amen. 
We, we put our thoughts and our intention on so many other different things. So many things that are, even in and of themselves, are not sinful, but they take our eyes off of Christ. And even if it's not sinful, if it takes our eyes off of Christ, it means we're not living for the glory of God. Right? We're to do everything for the glory of God. And so if something is taking me away from living for the glory of God, it's taken my eyes off of Christ, even if that thing in and of itself isn't inherently sinful, it opens me up to temptation because I've already put myself in a compromised position. We must keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus and that new identity that he gives us. I am a child of God. That's not who I am anymore. I have been set free by the Son of God who died and rose again, who ascended, who is seated. That is seated as in he, he can't be removed. He, he can't get voted out. He is there, King of kings and Lord of lords. My final point tonight, point 900 tonight, is at the beginning of our text, verse 12, James 1, verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. There is a blessing in resisting temptation. There is a blessing in resisting temptation. Here Jesus says, to those who overcome, or, or James here says, to, to those who remain steadfast in the trial, when you have passed the test, you will receive the crown of life. This blessing from the Lord as we resist temptation. Now this word for crown is not the word for a royal crown like a king would wear. That's a diadem. The, the word for crown here that James uses is the Greek word Stephanos, which is the victor's crown. The victor's crown. In, in James' day and the, the the Olympic games that they would play, when someone was victorious, they would put that, that wreath on their head, that victor's crown, that Stephanos. That is the crown that we will receive, the crown of victory. In, in Ephesians, in, not Ephesians, in Revelation chapter 2, my closing verse tonight, Jesus giving a message to the church at Smyrna. Revelation chapter 2 Verse 8, he says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. We pray tonight for the persecuted church. He's, he's speaking here to Christians who are under persecution. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested 
for 10 days, you will have tribulation. This tribulation that you're going to go through, that the devil is going to put you through, it is not permanent, it is temporary. It will not last forever, it has a definite end. But Jesus' instruction to them is, is this, he says, be faithful even unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. There is a victor's crown laid up for those who run the race, who, who run that race for Christ. Again, I'm not saying that we will be perfect and that we will never sin, that we will never fall short. But when we do, we know where to go. We know where to run. We know how to have our sin dealt with. We walk in repentance and we turn to Christ in faith and we will receive the victor's crown. Amen? Amen. So let us not give in to temptation. To overcome temptation, I must know what it is. I must know where it comes from. I must know the word of God and I must live in the victory of Christ. And I must remind myself constantly, saturating my mind like a sponge with the word of God. I wanna encourage you, I've done this many times and I'll continue to do it by way of reminder, you gotta make a plan. You gotta have a plan. Satan has a plan. Satan has schemes. He has strategies. What is your strategy to saturate your mind with the word of God? What is it? To not have a plan is to plan to fail. What is your plan? Do you have a plan? Do you have a strategy? Do you have a place that you have set aside that this is when I read the word, this is when I study the word, this is how I'm going about it? Do you have that plan? Put a plan together. Set a strategy in place to saturate your mind in the word of God. It is only by knowing the truth that we will have freedom and it's only by being in the word that we will know the truth that sets us free. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. It is that truth that sets us free. Lord, though we live in this world that is fallen, that is corrupted, that is giving way, uh, even to, the, to the, the, the evil that we see around us. Lord, you have called us out from the world and you have set us apart unto yourself as holy. We are not sinners in your sight, but we are righteous, declared righteous, not by our own works, but only by your grace and the work of Christ. Lord, you call us now to live in light of that great work of grace in our lives and to follow you and to live for you, not being entrapped and giving in to sin which leads to death, but continuing on in faithfulness, overcoming, victorious on the path that leads to life. Lord, I thank you for the, the tools that you have given us, your word especially. Let it be that lamp to our feet and light to our path. Lord, let us saturate our minds with your word that we might know you and that we might know your truth, that we might live for your glory and that we might shine for you in this dark world. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.